0: All right. Hey, what book are we studying? Thank you. How many weeks we've been in this book now? I'm getting, I'm getting 13, 14, 15. This will be week number 15 that we've been in this book. But it is also the last week we will be in the book of Colossians. It has taken us quite a while to to Walk through this, and I appreciate the fact that you guys have have stuck with it. you know I think we if I remember correctly, we actually started this back when we were still doing some of our online stuff, um, so you guys have stuck with it and here 's what I hope I hope that as we 've walked through this book, you haven't just listened and here and then gone home and never looked at the book again. I hope that you 've read through this book as we 've been walking through it, and I hope and pray that you 'll read through it again, even when we 're done because it's my firm belief that God still has stuff in here for us to learn and that you still have the opportunity to grow from what you see in this book here. So as we step into chapter 4 tonight, I want to ask you, if you have a pen or a pencil, I want you to pull that out or if, you need to take, or if you're need taking notes on your cell phone, you can do it that way. But I want you to write something down real quick. I want you to write down the three most important people in your life right now. And yes, I know many of you will be tempted to go... Jesus is number one, and that's awesome. I'm talking about the people that you interact with on a daily basis that are physically in your presence. Who are the three most important physically alive people that you interact with on a daily basis in your life right now? Write those names down. I want hey nobody's gonna see, nobody's gonna see this for you. I want you to write names. Who are the three most important people? Not like, my parents. Okay, great. Is it mom or is it dad? Yes, I just told you you have to choose one. Or you can ignore them all together and write friends. So you have the opportunity. This is your list. I'm not asking you to show it to anybody else. Who are the three most important people in your life right now? And once you have those down, and I'm not going to give you a long time to do it. Once you have those down, in one word, one word next to each of those names, write why they are important in your life. I know that is, that is an, a very hard task to do, especially for some of you that use a lot of words to summarize it in one. And some of you who don't use a lot of words at all, you are struggling to think of one word right now to put it all down. But just think about that. The three most important people in your life and one word that describes why that's the case. Why are they the three most important people in your life? I'm going to give you about 30 more seconds to do that. And I'm asking you guys to do that because we're going to come back to that here in a few minutes as you're writing that down. But I want to draw attention, I want you to see who are the people that are having the most influence in my life. Because most of the time, when we think of the people that are most important in our life, those are the ones that we're spending time with. Those are the ones that we give our attention to. Those are the ones that we're letting speak into our daily life. And therefore, those are the ones who quite often have the most influence in our life, in your daily decisions, in the things you do. And as disciples of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him, those also tend to be the ones that have the most influence on your walk with God. Now, we we would hope that God's word is going to have the most influence on that, or your parents would have the most influence on that. But you guys know, sometimes you spend more hours in a week with your friends at school or after school than you do at home with your parents. So these are the people that are speaking into your life on a daily basis. And that matters as we get into chapter 4 tonight. We're going to pick up in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. And what we see is we get, excuse me, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 17, starting in verse 7 and going through verse 18. I can't get any of my numbers right tonight. Chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. What you're going to see tonight is just a list of people. And we see all of these people are the ones that are with Paul, that are ministering with Paul, the people he's trying to encourage. These are the important people in his life at that moment that he's surrounding himself with. And as we go through this, we find out why those people are important in his life. And as we do that tonight, we're going to see why that matters for us. So before we dig into this, before we stand and I read this passage, let me ask you the questions. Who wrote the book? No, no, no. Who wrote the book? Thank you. I was going to say, more of you know it than that. When did he write it? Where do we believe he was when he wrote it? Jail! Yeah, I like that one. Okay, what were the two reasons that he wrote it? To encourage and what? And warn. And, I don't do this one every week, but what's the over the overarching, the main idea, theme of this book that we see throughout it? That's right. Supremacy of God. Supremacy of Christ in all Things, remember, it's important to know the context of what you're reading. We focus in on a small little passage, but there's a whole lot more going on outside of that passage in the book, so it helps us to know what those things are. So let's stand in the honor of God's word being read. I have not asked one of you to do this tonight simply because there are a lot of crazy names in this passage. And I may struggle with some of them. I was not going to put that on any of you. So let's go first, or excuse me, Colossians chapter four, 4, chapter 4, verse 7. I'm struggling tonight. So here we go. And if I get these names different than you would say them, it's okay. We can agree to disagree. So verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. God, we thank you for the opportunity again to come here tonight and and to spend a few minutes digging into your word and and trying to understand who you are, how you've called us to live our lives in a way that honors you. And God, I pray that as we do this tonight, I pray that we'll walk out of here different because we've spent time with you in your word tonight. God, help us to to think about who we're surrounding ourselves with, who we're allowing to speak into our life and, and speak into the calling that you've placed on each one of us as a disciple of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's walk back through here, and I get to say all of those crazy names again, but let's look at these individuals that Paul's talking about. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Got it right that time. Tychicus, or Tychicus, or Tychicus, or however you want to say it. It's crazy. Will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So let's start there with Tychicus. Paul calls this guy out, and he uses three phrases to describe him. What are those three phrases that he uses to describe this guy? Brother, says, beloved brother, that's one of them. Faithful minister and fellow servant. Okay, that's right. That's that's exactly what he says there in verse um, in verse seven. And in my translation, the ESV, it says, "Beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant." Now, those words matter. He's making a distinction about who this man is. That first phrase he uses there, "beloved brother," what we're seeing is that Paul considers him to, to be a part of his family. Now, it's it's not a blood relation or a marriage relation. But what he's saying here is, this is my brother in Christ. And and that has implications for us because you and I, sometimes we, we sit in a room full of people in church and we never really give a second thought to who's next to us or who's across the room and what's going on in their life. But this phrase that we see here is something that we see throughout Scripture. He calls this guy his beloved brother. In Christ, they are family. In Christ, you and I, if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. And and what that means is that the people that you are brothers and sisters with in Christ, they deserve the same kind of love that your family deserves because they are family. Now, I also understand that family comes with some pretty hard heads and arguments and frustrations, and that happens in our church family too, doesn't it? That happens in any family because that's just part of family. But at the same time, your brothers and sisters in Christ deserve your love the way that you love your family. That's the phrase, that's the wording that he's using here for this gentleman. And then he uses the words there. He says, uh, where is it? Faithful minister. Now, the, the word translated there for that minister or that servant, that fellow servant in the Lord, that's actually the same root word that we get the word deacon from. And, and deacons in our church; those are those are men who are who are taken and ordained and and set to help do the ministry of the church in different roles in different ways. And while this wasn't what was happening here, what Paul is communicating is that he's been a faithful servant. He's been faithful in doing the things that he's been called to do. And then he talks there about that servant too. That also gives us the idea of of this this slave, this bond servant that we see over and over, someone who has committed their life to the service of someone else because they owe them a debt. Remember, we talked about that working through this chapter or through this book. We saw that phrase bond servant. And a lot of times when we think bond servant or slave, we think of what American society has gone through and throughout the rest of the world where somebody just owns somebody else and they have no rights and no freedoms. But in situations like this, this was different. This is where you owed someone a debt, so you, cho- you chose to serve them for a time to pay off that debt. And, and Paul is saying, this guy and me, we've both chosen to do that. But we're doing that in Christ because we owe him a debt. So we've committed our lives to serving him. That, that's how he's talking about this gentleman as he goes through. This is somebody that he cares a lot for, somebody that's serving with him. And then he goes on to the next guy, he says, Onesimus. Has anybody ever heard that name in scripture before? I just want to see if anybody knew it. Anybody? Where have you seen that, Kennison? Yeah, absolutely. However, again, a, a weird, weird name. You figure out, is it Philemon? Is it Philemon? Is it Philemon? Is it, what is it? We don't know. Philemon? I don't know. There's a bunch of different ones there. Whatever it ends up being correctly, we do hear about that guy in that book. And what we find out about him in that book, and even kind of what we see here is Onesimus, it says he is one of you. That means he was from Colossae. So these people that Paul is writing to, they knew him. And what we find out in that other book that he was mentioned in is that he left. He ran away. He was actually a a bondservant of Philemon is the way I'm going to say that. He was a bondservant, which again means that he probably owed him a debt. So he had stepped into his service, but for some reason, he didn't fulfill that service. He ran away. We don't know if it was a scandal. We don't know what was going on, but he ran. And, and in doing so, he didn't fulfill the debt that he owed. But now, now we see Paul sending him back. And, and we, we believe that at some point after he ran away, that God saved him. Because look again at how Paul describes him in verse 9. He says, Our faithful faithful, and beloved brother. He's using that same verbiage that he used for the first gentleman that we read about here. He says he's faithful, he's beloved. So what Paul is showing us here is that at some point in time, things change for Onesimus. And now Paul is sending him back as a believer, and he's sending both of these guys back for two purposes. Number one, he says he wants them to be updated on everything that's happening with Paul and all of his co-laborers in ministry. He says, I'm sending these guys back so they can tell you what's happening with us. And he says, I'm also sending them back so you can be encouraged. Now remember where he is writing this letter. We talked about this last week. He's in prison. He's in a place that none of us would probably want to be in. He's not in a good situation. And it's not like prisons today where you, you watch TV and movies and you see actual footage of prison and there's people working out and they've got TVs and there's, there's some of those amenities that we enjoy in regular life. Back then, it was just prison. And it wasn't nice in any way, shape, or form. And yet, he's writing to these believers so he can encourage them. Talk about an outlook, a perspective that he has that sometimes I think we struggle to have. We have the opportunity to encourage other people no matter what our situation is. No matter how frustrated we are, no matter how disappointed we are, no matter how bad we think things are for us, as believers in Christ, we still have hope. And we still have the opportunity to encourage other people out of that hope no matter what our situation is. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to do here. And then he goes on in verse 10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort for me. So let me just go ahead and address that last part. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. That means they're the only three Jewish believers that were with him in this endeavor where he was right now. That's what that's talking about. So let's talk about these couple guys. Aristarchus. We don't know much about him, and we don't know much about justice. Now, we think Aristarchus was probably with Paul for a while. We, If you read through the book of Acts, you actually see his name pop up three different times. You also see it pop up in the book of Philemon, again, with Onesimus. And it looks like, based on what he says here, my fellow prisoner greets you, that it's most likely he was in prison with Paul. All we know about Justice is that his real name was Jesus. And thank goodness they called him something else, because that might get real confusing as we're walking through this book. That's all we know about him. He was there hanging out with Paul, doing the ministry. And then Paul mentions Mark. He says, Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Do you all know where you've heard of Mark before? What's that? Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy that wrote the book of Mark. Okay? If, If you've read through the book of Acts, you see this guy, Mark, show up. In fact, in Acts chapter 12, he accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey. And yet, somewhere along the way during that missionary journey, Paul and Mark went separate ways. Paul kept going forward to where God was calling him. Mark split off and went back. So we we see some kind of, of I don't know if it's a breaking there or, or some kind of disagreement. Something happened. Maybe Mark just got scared and said, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what it was, and Scripture doesn't really tell us. But we see he kind of abandons Paul in what they were trying to do. In fact, it's, it's so bad that at one point, Paul has the opportunity to take Mark on another mission. And Paul says, no, that that guy abandoned me last time. I'm not taking him again. I'm not going through that again. So he's talking about him here. And if all we had was the book of Acts, especially right there in chapter 12, then that's where that story would end. But, But what we see here as we walk through this is that Paul is now calling them co-workers in the kingdom. These are three men that are now working with him for the greater mission of what God has called them to do. And what we see here with Mark, and this is why this matters for us, we know that Mark and Paul had a following a falling out. And it was so bad that Paul said, I'm never taking him with me again. And yet now, it looks like Mark has been with him. It looks like Mark has been working with him. In fact, if you continue reading throughout Scripture, we see that in 2 Timothy verse 11, Paul actually says in writing to Timothy, he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Here's why that matters. Because sometimes with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to have conflict. And we're going to have falling out. And we're going to have times where we disagree and we don't see things eye to eye. And, And if we're not careful relationships can end right there in those situations. But what we see here is that every single one of our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we agree with them and see with them eye to eye right now or not, there should always be room for reconciliation. There should always be opportunity for those two different parties that don't see eye to eye to turn to Christ and find a way to come back together because they're on the same mission, the same God. That's what we see here when Paul is talking about who Mark is. And yes, he did write the book of Mark. He did some pretty cool things. And then he goes on gives us some more names in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea, and in Heropolis. So let's look at Epaphras there. He's only mentioned three times in the entire New Testament. And every time you hear Paul mentioning him, and he only has good things to say about him. He says that he's a bondservant of Christ. He says that he's always laboring for the Colossians, that, that he's praying for them, that they're going to be established in their faith, they're going to be mature, they're going to be complete. And Paul finishes talking about him here by saying that he's a witness to the commitment. Paul has seen how dedicated Epaphras is to the other Colossians. He says, this guy's working hard for you. This guy cares about your relationship with Christ. This guy cares about who you are in your walk with God. My prayer is that every one of you have somebody like that in your life. Somebody that even when you don't know it, they're praying for you. They're doing what they can to encourage you. They want you to succeed in your daily walk. And I can tell you this, I say that's my prayer, but I know that's actually the case because you have adults that serve with you and help lead you every single week and they are doing just that exact thing for you. I've shown you guys before these yellow cards, these little yellow cards that you all fill out on a regular basis. I have a box in my office this big. And it's overflowing with your prayer cards. And every week when I get those, if it's a prayer that's appropriate to share, I scan those and I send them out to those adult leaders that work with you on a regular basis. Not all of them, just the ones that work with you. And they pray for you. That's what this guy's doing here. He's lifting up these other believers in prayer even though he's not with them, even though he can't see them. He is still taking his cares and his concerns for them before God. We all need people like that in our lives. And that's what Paul's trying to show them that they have. And then it goes on here. It says in verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Luke, Who's heard that name before? Yeah, a lot of hands going up. Yeah, Not your brother, but yes, yes, Luke. Luke in Scripture, which that's who he's named after, isn't he? Okay, that's what I thought. Um, Luke in Scripture, we see him. Do you know what books he wrote? Luke and Acts. That's right. He wrote both of those books. And, and he calls him here, he refers to him as the beloved physician. That's why if you ever go through and you read the book of Luke and you read the, um, the account of the crucifixion of Jesus, you get a whole lot more medical detail there than you do in any of the other Gospels. L- Luke was a doctor. He, he paid attention to those things. So we, we have Luke here who's serving with him, and then Demas. Demas is another guy who's a, a traveling companion of Paul. He's serving with him. And it tells us in uh, Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10, we actually see it also talks about Demas the same way it did about Mark. But there's difference between Demas and Mark. Demas did the same thing that Mark did. Demas left, but Demas never came back. For whatever reason, he began to pay attention to the things in the world around him and lost sight of the calling that God had put on his life. And he never came back to be a part of what God was doing in the ministry. Demas stepped away. And and even though Paul talks about him here, he says, you know, Luke greets you as does Demas. As you follow this account of those two serving in ministry, Demas steps away and never comes back. And that's a warning to every single one of us. It's quite possible, this is speculation, this isn't in Scripture here, but it's quite possible that Demas' faith, his commitment, he was relying on the people around him. And that was never a serious thing for him. It was never an individual personal commitment that he made. Again, Scripture doesn't say that, I'm speculating here. But I say that because I've seen that over and over where somebody will come to church and, and, and they'll be around other believers and, and they get excited and they, they get on fire and they want to tell people about Jesus and they want to do all of these things. But as soon as they step away from that group that got them excited, they're no longer excited. Now they're on to the next thing. Because that faith was never really theirs. They were just relying on other people's faith around them. And, and it's possible that's what happened here. And that's a warning to us. That we've got to make sure that the, the things we're doing, the things we're saying, God has called us to, it's because God has called us to it, and we're not just relying on everybody else around us to do and to say the right things. It's because it's a real conviction in our own heart about who God's called us to be. And then it goes on here, and he kind of shifts and he mentions this greeting to Nympha and the church in his house, and also the or in her house, and also the Christians in Laodicea. So he, he's recognizing you, you've got this lady who has opened up her home and is having church right there. That's a big deal. If if you have ever hosted people in your house, even if it's just family over Christmas break, you know what an ordeal that can be, because you've got people everywhere and you've got to feed people and you've got to clean up before you got to clean up after. It's a big deal. And he's saying, hey, she's telling you hello. She's we're greeting her, and you need to understand that she matters because of what she's doing here. And then it goes on in verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in, ch- in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Do you catch what's going on here? He's saying, take this letter. When you are done with it, give it to the next church. And oh, by the way, I wrote a letter to them. When they're done with it, they're going to give that letter to you. Paul wrote those letters to those individual churches, but what we can learn from that there is that Paul had broader biblical principles that were important for all of those churches. Some of those things were addressed specifically to those individual churches, but when they start circulating those letters, all of those churches are learning what it looks like to live a life that honors God because of Paul's instruction that he's giving to them. And then in verse 17, and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus, right here, we, we see the church has been given some kind of charge to give to this man. We don't know we don't know the extent of what it is. All it says is tell him to pay close attention to the service that God has called him to do and tell him to fulfill it. Doesn't tell us what that service is, doesn't tell us what that, that goal, what that mission is. But apparently it was important enough for it to be mentioned in Scripture so it's something that we can learn from, especially in light of what we know happened with Demas. Demas was on purpose, on mission, and he turned away from it, and he never came back to it. He's saying, tell Archippus, don't turn away from it. Stay on task. Do what God's called you to do. Because let's be honest, it's easy for us to get distracted, isn't it? I mean think about it. On a daily basis, you sit down and you're supposed to be doing homework. What are the things that distract you? TikTok. Is that the only thing? What's that? Snapchat? Minecraft? Netflix? Anything other than schoolwork. You're, you're like, schoolwork, what else can I look at? Any, yeah, food. You always say food. Every time. All of these different things distract us on something that should really not be hard. But we're that easily distracted. How much more does that matter on something that is so eternally important? The mission that God puts us on. The calling that He puts on our lives. Saying, don't be distracted by all of these other things. They're not bad things. Many of them are very good things. But too easily they become the main thing when that's not what God's called us to. He's saying, don't get distracted. Stay on task. That's something that we can learn through that specific instruction he's given to this gentleman. And then it says here in verse 18, final verse of the chapter, final verse of the book. It's taken us 15 weeks to get here. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now that matters. And the reason that matters is because we know throughout Scripture there's been different times where someone has their name on the book, but they may not have actually physically written it with their hand. They just dictated it to someone else to write down. Paul's saying, hey, I took the time. I wrote this myself. This, this matters. This was important enough to me to do this. You guys, how many of you in here, and, and this is going to be either really good or really bad for me, how many of you in here have ever gotten a postcard or a note card in the mail from me? Handwritten. Okay. Almost half of you. That means I need to do a better job. How many of those do you get, not just from me, but in general? How many handwritten notes or cards do you get on a regular basis? A lot? Okay, good. One? A couple? What's your question, Daniel? Yes, they absolutely count. All right, then you got one. There you go. All right. Hey, I told you I got to do a better job at this, but here's the thing. That's the one right there. See, Miss Carla knows. Y'all probably got those. You just threw them out because you couldn't read it. That's what it was. Here's the reason I do that. You guys, especially as you start moving out of high school and, and your junior, senior year, you're going to start getting a lot of what we call form mail. Hey, come to my college. Hey, you really want to be a part of this college. Yeah, a lot of it's trash. But listen, here's what you need to realize. Hey, when they send out those cards and those letters, they go out to thousands of people at one time and they're addressed to you. So they want you to feel really special, not realizing that 3,000 of them just went out and the only thing different was the name. And that's it. Paul's helping them understand, hey, I took the time to write this to you. Yes, I want you to share it with others, but but I put some effort into this. I put some care into this. I put some purpose into this. And that's why that matters. Because he didn't just write this out and say, hey, go share it with everybody. He said, no, this is for you, and then you can share it with other people. This is important, what Paul wrote down. Even all of these names that he's listing out here. And then he says in the last sentence, he says, Remember my chains, grace be with you. He's listed out a lot of commands, a lot of things that we can do in this book. And this is the last one. He says, Remember my chains. Paul is in prison for the sake of the gospel. He is where he is, writing this letter in that situation, Because he is doing what God has called him to do, and it's cost him his freedom. He's saying, remember my change, because I've been faithful to what God has called me to do. And he says, think about this, or or this kind of lends itself to this. No matter what your situation is, and I mentioned this already, no matter how hard it is, you can labor for the gospel anyway. You can labor for the gospel in any situation that you find yourself Paul says, I am physically in chains and I'm still looking for ways and asking you to pray for ways for me to share Christ. That's what we talked about last week. We can be a witness for God in any situation we find ourselves in. And he says right there, grace be with you. That is the exact same way he opened this book all the way back in chapter one. With the grace of God. All of this, this whole book, this whole thing, it talks about the grace of God being extended to us. Paul's ministry, our ministry, the things that we're called to do should always show the grace of God to people in the way that we treat them, in the way that we speak to them, in the way that we look at them. The grace of God should always be shown. So, what does all of this mean for us? It means you need to ask yourself a question tonight. Pull out that piece of paper or that note you put on your phone with those three names and the reasons why those three people are the most important people in your life right now. And I want to ask you this question. Are these the people that are working with you to serve God and serve others? Let me ask you that again. Those three names... Are these the people that are working with you to serve God and serve others? That are helping you fulfill the calling that God has put on your life? Are they walking with you and encouraging you and and loving you and pushing you towards God and pushing you towards holiness and loving other people? Or are they taking you in the exact opposite direction? what we can learn overall from this passage is the people that you surround yourself with, those are the people that are going to have the most influence on your walk with God and if the people that are the three most important people in your life right now if they are not pushing you towards God, then they are pulling you away from God there is no, I'm going to stand in the middle and not move either direction, you're going towards God or you're going away from God who are you surrounding yourself with tonight And I'll follow that up with another question, something for you to think about. Is it possible that the three most important people on your list right now are not the three most important people that need to be in your life right now? There may be some people sitting around you tonight that your mind didn't even think about putting them on your list, and those are the exact people that God has put you around because those are the ones that are going to encourage you and push you towards God. And it might not be the two or three sitting around you. It may be somebody across the aisle. It may be somebody on the opposite side of the room that you don't spend a whole lot of time talking to. But God's put you in the group together so that you can find each other, so that you can fulfill your calling as one. Who you surround yourself with matters. Who you let speak into your life is important. Paul shows us even in the worst situations, the right people stuck with him no matter what happened. His fellow prisoners, they were there, they were with him, even in the worst situation, and they were still fulfilling the calling that God had put on their lives. But those are the people that are the most important people in your life right now. If they're not, I don't want to think about that. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, God, to dig into your word. And God, to to find truths in there, to find things that sometimes they're hard to think about because they make us look at who we are and the the people we spend time with and and who's speaking into our lives. And and maybe even to realize, God, that some of those relationships aren't good. God, I pray right now for, for myself, for every single person in this room, I pray that you will help us to be surrounded by people that are going to encourage us and push us towards you, towards holiness, towards fulfilling the calling that you place on our lives as disciples. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in here tonight and, and they look at that list and they realize I'm not going in the right direction with these people. God, I pray that you'll give them pause for a moment talking to you about those relationships. God, I pray that you would give them opportunities If if they're your disciple in here tonight, God, that in those relationships you would give them opportunities to share the gospel, to help be the one that encourages those friends, that helps them move from death to life, to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I pray for those open doors. God, I also pray for the relationships right here in this room. I pray that you're going to help each one of us discover people in this room, in this body that you've put us together with that are going to walk with us. They're going to encourage us. People that we can walk with and encourage as we seek to draw closer to you. We ask all this in.